Thanks, everyone, for downloading the latest All Lions podcast made possible thanks to SI.com and Fan Nation. I am the Doc, John Macaroon. Looking forward to this week's broadcast, actually for a long time. Alan Pupar has been a great friend, a colleague at Fan Nation. And this week, the Lions are taking on the Miami Dolphins at Ford Field. Lions sitting at 1-5. The Dolphins coming off of an impressive victory over the Steelers. Allen has an interesting perspective about the Miami Dolphins. Also has experience in his tenure looking at and evaluating Dan Campbell. So he's here today to provide a great inside look at Detroit's head coach, how he sees this matchup taking place this weekend, and talking all things National Football League. Alan, thank you so much. I've actually looked forward to this. Uh, I enjoy our conversations. When you have a chance to talk to someone as experienced as you, a quality journalist, it makes it really fun to learn from someone like yourself. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for allowing me to dial you up for this conversation. Of course, my man, but you just called me old there, didn't you? <laughs> but that's all good. That's all good. We'll let it slide. No, absolutely. Been looking forward to it myself. Yeah, look, look. there's nothing wrong with veterans unless you're Michael Brockers, who just got benched because of his performance. But that's here nor there. I think you're performing at a higher level. You're always right behind me, man. I think that people are aware of what's going on with the Dolphins. People have a high respect for the knowledge that you bring. Now, of course, there's going to be some haters out there that challenge your quality reporting and things like that. But that's here nor there. I invited you. I look forward to this conversation because you have been somebody that in our conversations has said, look, Dan Campbell is an interesting head coach in that he brings to the table what a lot of organizations are looking for in that players will play for him. Players will respect him. He'll have the opportunity to make sure the locker room is in order. But at the same time, you're starting to see similar struggles that you saw when he did take over for the Dolphins in that the victories are not there yet through his first 23 games. Only four wins and a tie and a bunch of losses. So when you've looking from afar regarding Dan Campbell, what's your assessment of Detroit's second-year head coach? Yeah, it's kind of like you summed up. When he took over, remember, when he was Dolphin head coach, it was on an interim basis. He took over a team that was 1-3 and three that was kind of listless under Joe Philbin, and he brought a new energy, intensity, fire, whatever word you want to use, to that team where they played hard. I mean, they played hard. And like in this first two games, they go after their bye, they went to Tennessee, they went 38-10. to 10. Then the, the, this first home game as interim head coach, they had the first – the craziest, wildest, best first half I've ever seen the Dolphins ever have. They got up 41 to nothing against Houston, wound up winning 44-26, and then eventually it kind of faded a little bit, and then other factors come into play. And this is not just me. You can talk to anybody who has covered the Dolphins. uh, Back to the time when he was interim head coach, you saw some like questionable in-game decisions, game management, type of stuff like that where after the season ended and Dolphins were going to go looking for a permanent head coach, it was like, yeah, the guys will play hard for him. No question about it. Is he up to snuff from an X's and O's perspective? Mm, not sure. When he got the job with the Lions, I remember talking to you and telling you, you're going to love him, number one, because he's very refreshing in terms of his honesty with the media. The guys will run through all for him, but he still has to answer the question in terms of X's and O's. And that's obviously not materialized favorably based on his record. 
although at points, you're also looking at a guy who can't catch a break. I mean, for example, look at the Baltimore game last year and Justin Tucker drives a stake through his heart with that record-setting field goal. I mean, that's bad. I mean, okay, and I, I think there was some questionable maybe uh, clock management at the end of that game. Still, the guy, I don't remember the length of the field. Was it like 66 yards or whatever? I mean, come on. You're, you're dealing with some major league bad luck if you lose a game like that. And then this week, just last week, for example, he had his team playing well against Dallas, and they're going to have to take the lead in the fourth quarter, and Jamal Williams fumbles at the goal line. That's not his fault. So, yeah, he, he, there, the, the concerns and the doubts are still there about him in terms of his exes and O's savvy. In the meantime, he's also can't catch a break. Um so and I'm and I'm, for example, like looking at the game on Sunday, I know that team is going to play hard for him. You look at how things go with the Lions, and sometimes you do as well in a game have to create your own luck. Prior to the fumble, the tight end Brock Wright gets near the end zone. They don't review it, but he's waiting and waiting in his headset for a call from upstairs from his person to decide whether to review whether the tight end got into the end zone. So by the time the offensive line gets set up and the offense, there's 10 seconds. So he created the chaos because he could have called a timeout if he wasn't getting the answer, could have calmed things down and maybe take a look quickly that why have 22 players right in the box, maybe spread out. You do things calmly. So that's where some of the nuance of the game has just not happened yet for Dan Campbell in terms of just the nuance of his aggressiveness, not just doing it just to be aggressive deciding when and where to kick field goals, things like that. It does, and that's why here in Detroit, the level of frustration is so high with these with, with the Lions is that, one, the patience is low for a losing franchise, and two, when you do an exhaustive search after the failed Matt Patricia era and you have quality candidates out there and you potentially choose the lowest qualified candidate it leads to very high frustration. I don't think people in Detroit wanted a coach learning on the job, especially when you, you saw that he had experience as an interim head coach. He he obviously had served under Sean Payton with the with the uh, New New Orleans Saints. So you see a guy that has experience now, though, in terms of never being a coordinator, never being a full time head coach, you're starting to see the impact of what happens when you don't have the necessary experience. You got to remember Robert Sala, who I was championing for for personal reasons. Obviously, had coached in the Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator, has a ton of experience, local ties. The belief was this is a winner. That's a winner. And and to not have that you you just you just feel wanting more and it's it's just really a struggle. But do you see, you know, for Detroit fans, this, this is the debate. Do you see, with more experience, a second year, potentially because he signed a six-year deal, he's probably odds-on going to get a third year here in Detroit because the Fords are not going to pay a head coach four seasons to not work here. Do you see, with the learning that he's experiencing, getting more talent, maybe even a a high first-round quarterback, do you see Dan Campbell potentially learning enough to become similar to his uh, mentors in Sean Payton and the likes? Well, no, I, I think you're setting a pretty high target there if you're hoping that he becomes another Sean Payton, who's okay. kind of generally regarded as one of the best head coaches around. So, no, I think that's too high a bar. I think he can learn. And 
while I, I appreciate your point about the play with the with the tight end at the one yard line, even if the the, the play and I and I recall actually was was watching it on NFL Red Zone at the time, so I did, I did see the play and it, it was messy in the way they lined up and hurried the play. That still doesn't account for Jamal Williams not fall. At, at the very worst, that should have been okay. He's tough for no for no yards or he's thrown for one yard loss. You still have three shots. I mean, that's not on Dan Campbell that Jamal Williams can't hang onto the ball there. Sorry, I'm not buying that for a second. Another thing too is, and there were like some very questionable decisions in terms of fourth downs. Um, I, I want to say it was against Minnesota, maybe. And it's he's in a mode right now where every time he every time he makes a questionable decision, the outcome is the worst possible scenario. So from that standpoint, he's snake bits, and if he tries things a different way, or I should say, if he makes them the same decision, then things work out better, and maybe he gets cut a little bit more slack. Having said all that. No, I don't think anybody who looks at the work that he's done with the Lions would go and say, yeah, he's done a good job. It's just purely bad luck. No, I'm not saying that. And yes, I do think he will learn on the job. And I do think the fact that he he served under Sean Payton for quite a while after leaving the Dolphins raised this stock tremendous. I think everybody knew he was a great motivator. And then they figured, okay, well, he's learned under Sean Payton. You combine those two ingredients. You have the makings of a very, very good head coach. Still 50-50, he ever gets there. I'm with you. There's no way in hell he's not getting a third year. Um, but at some point, yeah, the results are going to have to turn around. It certainly would help if he had a good quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. That's the key, and you said it. That's why at, at the bottom line, I think you and I kind of see the game in a similar way. If you don't have a quarterback, you're starting with nothing. So let's turn our attention now to the Miami Dolphins. Really interesting season, uh, obviously with a new head coach, kind of a new renewed spirit. Where are the Miami Dolphins at right now, sitting at four and three? How are you viewing them as they enter Ford Field for this contest against the Lions? Uh, I view them as pretty much in a very, very large pack of AFC teams who will be playoff contenders, but who are clearly a rung below the Bills and the Chiefs. But I think when they operate pretty well, here, here's the thing. And I think a lot of the perception, the national perception, and I keep hearing national commentators just going gaga goo over what's going on uh, offensively. And I think a lot of the perception was massively skewed by that ridiculous comeback against the Baltimore Ravens in week two, when the Dolphins scored 28 points in the fourth quarter, four touchdown passes by two, including the two bombs to Tyreek Hill. The bottom line is you take away that game in the other five games, the Dolphins are averaging like around 20 points a game. And that's whether two as a quarterback, whether it's, it's Skylar Thompson starting and Teddy Bridgewater coming in to replace him or Teddy Bridgewater starting against the Jets and lasting one play before the spotter in the booth decides that he saw signs of wobbling and takes him out like they did with uh, Amon Ross St. Brown last week. The reality with the Dolphins is they have a really, really good scheme offensively that creates openings and they have two cheat codes on the outside with their speed with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, uh, where you're looking at possibly we're clearly the fastest player in the NFL and maybe the second fastest player fastest player in the NFL. Having said all that, you look at that town and and the schemes that that have opened them up quite a bit so far this season and you're wondering why they're not scoring more on a consistent basis and that's kind of an, an interesting question. Uh, defensively it's weird because they don't look nearly as impressive visually 
even stat-wise as they did the past two seasons. And yet, if you look at three of their four wins, they gave up seven points against New England, 19 against Buffalo, which is no small feat, and then 10 against the Steelers. So the defense certainly is doing its part to contribute to the record of the team so far. Having said that, and then you're dealing with the injury issue. They've had a lot of injuries, particularly in the secondary. They've been without Byron Jones, who's a very, very good cornerback, even though he doesn't get picks, and who allows them to, when he's on the field and healthy and producing, allows them to do a lot of different things with their personnel because they basically tell Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, okay, you cover guys one-on-one down the field, we'll, we'll – no, we'll use the rest of the personnel and throw a lot of disguises as opposing quarterbacks. And you can ask Jared Goff about his game against the Dolphins in 2020 and how they completely messed with his mind. This was Tua's first start, incidentally. Uh, he passed for like 103 yards, but the Dolphins got a fumble return for a touchdown. They got a fumble return to the one-yard line. They got a punt return for a touchdown and 128-17. And Jared Goff looks, looked discombobulated the entire game. So uh, very, very long way to answer your question is the Dolphins are in a position where they can make a run at the playoffs. I actually would expect them to make the playoffs. I don't know how, how deep they can get into the playoffs. They're not Casey caliber, Buffalo caliber by any stretch of the imagination, even though, yes, I know they beat the Bills in week three. But anybody who watched that game who would tell you that the Dolphins weren't or who would refuse to admit the Dolphins were lucky to win that game is either – completely delusional or hardcore Dolphin fans who want to see things through aqua and orange glasses. Yeah, absolutely. I've enjoyed checking in with the Dolphins, obviously with the Tua connection, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell. Many people are looking at, obviously, the head coach in, in Mike McDaniel. I'm curious to get your sense of Miami's head coach. But a quick sidebar, because you brought up uh, Amonra St. Brown, Obviously, Teddy Bridgewater as well was spotted out of a game due to the league's new concussion rule. Amandra St. Brown, it was real interesting, and we had some dialogue about it. it got tackled, it kind of got hit in the neck, went down awkwardly, stumbles, catches the attention of the officials. Obviously, now the NFL has this new rule, obviously based on what we saw with Tua and his concussion situation. So now Amandra St. Brown gets evaluated And he's obviously, as a result of the new rule, immediately ruled out of the game. But on Monday, Dan Campbell comes out and he says that after the evaluation, Amandre St. Brown did not have a concussion, but out of of an abundance of caution, he's ruled out of the game. So it sends me into really a conflicted point of view because I love the attention to player safety. We never want to see again what we saw with Tua after his violent tackle, it was just really dramatic and tough to witness. But at the same time, and I understand the delayed response to concussions and symptoms can pop up, but I just find it to have a, have a hard time when you can do constant evaluations, you can have these players tested on the sidelines regularly. I just kind of posted on Twitter at Detroit Podcast, my feeling is if a player gets evaluated but shows no neurological signs, I'm having a hard time wrapping my my mind around just taking players out of the game permanently if they show gross motor instability just after a, a rough tackle. Where do you stand? Because obviously you have a close tie to it, having witnessed it on two occasions now with the Dolphins. Well, the, the, the problem is, and I understand your point, but concussions are not necessarily that easy to diagnose. Yep. 
um, with a quick exam at, at the stadium. So because a lot of times symptoms don't show up immediately for one. Here's my, my problem with the whole thing. And I, I know Tua hates that hates it that we that it's called the Tua rule. Uh, he he said that in a one-on-one interview with uh, Maria Taylor of Football Night in America. But <laughs> sorry, Tua, it is the Tua the Tua rule. And my problem with it is they don't want the optics of what happened with Tua ever again. But I saw the play where Amon Ross St. Brown went down, and I saw the play where Teddy Bridgewater, obviously I saw the play where Teddy Bridgewater was tackled by Sauce Gardner on a blitz. And I didn't detect a wobble in either one. Were they slow to get up? Yeah. St. Brown, I don't know exactly what happened to him. You just said like maybe the, the, the neck issue or whatever. I mean, I'm sure he was in some kind of pain. Or And Bridgewater took a shot in the ribs. A clean, clean hit. So yeah, it might have hurt. He might have been like, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like stunned for a second. But neither of those came remotely, and remotely is not even a strong enough word. Close to what Tua did after he was pushed to the ground by Matt Milano against the Bills in Week Three, and that's that to me is where I have a little bit of an issue. Where where I'm I'm with you on the issue of player safety and all that. But in the case, it's it's like in the case of Tua, there's not a person watching that game who didn't think concussion when he was pushed and he wobbled. I don't think there's I I I can imagine the the percentage of people watching the the Dolphin Jets game in Week Five or the Cowboys Lions game in Week Seven who saw Bridgewater and St. Brown. The percentage of people who saw those two plays and thought concussion, probably what five percent maybe. I mean that so that's where it's like. It, to me, it, it reeks of overcompensation in the name of safety, which is good, but overreaction is bad. And But that's kind of how the NFL does things, like, in the way of addressing the issue. So, yeah, and somebody made the point, somebody, like a national talking head, okay, what happens if it's Patrick Mahomes in a playoff game, gets up slowly a little bit after taking a hard shot, where, where the, maybe it's to his ribs, but it, it causes him pain, whatever, and it makes him make a weird movement all of a sudden. Is that a wobble where a spotter decides he has to leave the game? So, to me, and, and I kind of liken it to the to what's a catch and what's a not not to catch. Shouldn't your eyes be able to tell us? What, what, I mean, the logic here, like two two against Buffalo, shouldn't logic have told us? Yeah, that that kind of looks like a concussion. Okay, he's out. And where Bridgewater was. No, there's nothing there to say that screams concussion with St. Brown. Unless I missed it, there's nothing that I saw on the replay they showed that screamed concussion. So I, I understand it's a very touchy subject and a, and a delicate issue for the NFL. Um, they, they put themselves in a little bit of a pickle there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I, I think you and I are in the same boat. We see the potential problem when the playoffs come, star players. How is it going to impact Big time organizations and big time games. Could you imagine in the Super Bowl? It's you, you just almost see it here in Detroit. We're fatalistic. I almost, Alan, and to give you a little glimpse of my brain, when that rule was put in, the Tua rule, I said to myself, my brain, and I tweet half the stuff, or I tweet ninety nine percent of the stuff that enters my brain. That's the secret to my success. But I said to myself, when that rule hit, I said, oh, for sure, it's going to impact the Lions negatively. Golf, Swift. I knew. You just knew that it was going to happen, but. You know, the good thing is player safety is being looked at, but I, and I, that's the tough part is the, the concussion is very tough 
to evaluate and you er you always want to err on the side of caution. But I could see a very, very controversial, messy situation in the Super Bowl. What are you going to do? You're going to take out Joe Burrow if he gets tackled? You know, these players are not are potentially could re refuse right there to actually get evaluated, you know? And, and then you could see this conflict between the spotters, the neurologist. Oh, you could just almost see because how the league works, you could see messy, messy controversy just right there across. But I'm curious to see how diligent this is going to be moving forward because I think it, it, it briefly upset Lions fans, but I think if it's just one game and he, he got cleared, St. Brown, we'll see how it impacts the league moving forward. I'm curious to get your sense. Dolphins are 4-3. and three. You got this very much eclectic, very much of a, a outgoing personality in Mike McDaniel, at least in terms of what you see in pressers. He has a personality when he was hired. You saw him doing interviews in planes, kind of had his, his, he has his own unique persona that I think makes him an interesting head coach to cover. What's your sense of the Dolphins' new head coach and what he can bring to the Dolphins organization? Well, the thing that stand out beyond the obvious of what you said of what, what's, what's easily you know, recognizable for, for those on the outside in his quirky sense of humor, his quirky personality and all that. Um, number one, he is extraordinarily positive, which is, which a lot of the coaches around the NFL are, but not, not always. And not like not everything, you know, everything is good. Everything is working for the positive and all that. That's number one. Number two, I love his play designs, his creativity on offense. And and it's interesting too because he came to the Dolphins with this rep as being the running game guru, and I'm I'm hearing some fans complain that the running game is not putting up big numbers. And I sit here and thinking, well, who are your two best players on offense beyond the offensive line? Because Teron Armstead's a hell of a player, but who are the two biggest playmakers on offense? Well, yeah, duh, it's Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So we're really going to focus on having you know, an offense completely focused on the running game, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So he's kind of smart enough from where I sit to adjust his offense and his style to what the strengths are. Uh, and, and I like, again, some of the play designs uh, I really like. Uh, he's, he's made some decisions that I haven't, that I haven't loved. I mean, for example, going forward on fourth and three, fourth and three, against the Steelers in the third quarter Sunday night when he's up 16 to 10 against an offensively challenged team was completely ridiculous to me. And, and I don't care what analytics say because analytics are not going to take into consideration the fact that, again, they were playing an offensively challenged team. If they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs, sure, go for it. Field goals are not going to win. But you're playing a team that's not going to score a ton of points against you. Take the two-score lead. That was completely ridiculous in my book. But overall, he's shown certainly he's shown a knack for being aggressive, which as a general, I, I like, uh, uh, but you can't go Brandon Staley about it either. There's got to be a, a balance there somewhere, but so far so good. I like what I've seen. Um, as far as the hire, I think the Dolphins sure look like they, they've hit on a good one there. I've enjoyed my conversation with Alan Pupar. You can follow him on Twitter at capital P O U P A R T NFL. A great follow. If you're a fan of the national football league, time has flown by, but I have two more because I got to pick your brain and I was just looking here as we were talking uh, about the Dolphins head coach. You've covered the Dolphins for a long time. Very experienced veteran NFL reporter. You've seen the likes of Dan Marino. But since, and I have to, it's almost like poke the bear. You have, you've seen the likes of Gus Farratt, Sage Rosenfels, Dante Culpepper, Joey Harrington, Cleo Lemon, Trent Green, Chad Henney, Ryan Tannehill. 
Jay Cutler, Matt Moore, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tua, Jacoby Brissett. You know, the quarterback situation is almost laughable with the Dolphins. And now with this new regime, you have Tua Tagovailoa, who many people in Detroit were debating potentially bringing here. I mean, I just rattled off a list of like 15 quarterbacks and none of them I would ever want to even take one snap for my football team. And boy, it's almost similar to the Lions. We've had a little bit of a higher caliber, but bottom line in the same boat, not resulting in the level of success that we want. Right now, two is under center. Give me the vibe. What's his popularity like? And in your opinion, your humble professional opinion, is two of the guy to lead the Dolphins into the promised land? Define promised land. Is that winning the Super Bowl? Absolutely. Playoff wins, being the franchise prototypical quarterback that can win it all. Okay. Well, you're going to get me in trouble here. Okay. But I'm going to answer honestly because that's that's the only thing I know. Um, first of all, you asked the question of what's the general feeling down here. The general feeling down here is, I would say, the wide, the the uh, a large portion of the fan base loves Tua. There is a among that that percentage, there's another fan base that will basically almost like to it more than they like the Dolphins. And he can do no wrong when they lose. It's somebody else's fault when they win. It's all him. And then you have another small group that was very skeptical of Tua and are fully on board. And I would maintain, again, because of that game in week two at Baltimore, which was no doubt very, very, very impressive. It was record setting. He tied the team record with his six touchdown passes through for 469 yards and all that. Where I sit again is I'm going to go back with the stupid speed they have outside with the pass protection, which when Teron Armstead is in the lineup actually has been pretty good, which the play designs with the play designs that they've had with Mike McDaniel for the most part being very impressive. I would hope and expect more consistency from the offense in terms of putting up numbers and Dolphin fans, and again, the Tua fans will throw out his 4-0 record as it started. They'll risk disregard the game against the Bengals when he was treachered off the field in the second quarter. But in, in three of those four wins, again, the team scored 21, 20, and 16 points. In the second half of those three wins that Tua has started and finished other than the Baltimore game, in the second half, they scored three points against New England, seven points against Buffalo, zero against Pittsburgh. So that speaks to me of it tells me, okay, let's cool down here a little bit. This isn't Patrick Mahomes. This isn't Josh Allen. What I thought of Tua before the season started and then, and kind of like since he entered the NFL is if you surround him with a lot of talent, he will get the ball to the guys, but things have to be right around him. And the question now becomes if things have to be completely right around him. And, and the argument is, well, doesn't have to, doesn't, isn't that the case for every quarterback in the NFL? To a certain degree, yes. But different levels of quarterbacks can achieve different levels of success without having everything around them being ideal. And this is where your Patrick Mahomes, your Joe Burrow, your Josh Allen comes into play. Um, Justin Herbert, I think, to me, is still that guy, even though they're, they're, there's something's wrong with the Chargers. They're just completely out of sorts. I'm not convinced that Tua is that guy. Uh, and I know he's fourth in the NFL in passer rating. But if you watch the games, a lot of the, the completions, the guys are wide open. Nobody can cover Hill. Nobody can cover Waddle. Watch how many times they hit a deep slant where the receiver's open by three yards. And there's a nice lane for two or to throw in. So, uh, like I said, I do think they'll make the playoffs. But they're a 
clear notch below Buffalo and Kansas City. And part of the reason is because Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes are a clear notch above Tua. And then to tack on to that, the durability issues beyond just the concussion he had this year. He missed a game as a rookie because of a thumb injury. He missed games last year because of ribs and thumb injuries. He's missed games this year. Are we going to give him, sign him to a long-term contract of 45, 50 million guaranteed a year? Don't know about that. Now, if he doesn't miss a game the rest of the way and starts blowing it up, yeah. But at this point, and can it happen? Sure. Uh, I'm not. I'm not convinced. I'm still skeptical, and I don't buy. There, there are some folks in the national media who, and in fact, one of them is a former Lions quarterback who just will not stop gushing uh, over Tua, and another one is a former, I believe, a former Lions offensive lineman who also will not stop gushing. In fact, said he was great Sunday night. When there's not a, I, I have no idea what the hell game he was watching because <laughs> he was not great Sunday night. In fact, he was subpar and had did some of the graphics. You'll see he had four dropped INTs. I, I, I'm being generous. I think there were two that were clear dropped INTs that would have changed the game. So, uh, again, the national perception of Tua is a lot different than, than the way I see him. Uh, look, he's he's a, he's a fine quarterback with 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 this offense, and I as I predicted before the year's passer rating would go up. He was like at about 90 last year. I thought he'd be close to 100. He's at 10, 104, 105 now. Um, so I'm not surprised by that. But to me, he still doesn't scream elite franchise quarterback at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And who am I to talk? We're rostering Jared Goff and Nate Sudfeld. I've looked at all these quarterbacks in Detroit that haven't been worth a darn. So I understand completely. And the, and you brought up the biggest point. The money makes it so that you got to make this decision. Nobody can wait 12 years for a quarterback to develop, to build a roster, to deal with everything, to learn, to mature, to be durable. Nobody's going to wait. You got to show it within the first three, four years. Show us what you got. Or in this kind of league, fast-paced, it's time to move on. And so I'm of the opinion, too, that Tua's got a lot to prove, and he's got to start to show it quickly. He's going to be given the opportunity. He'll be given the chance. And let's see what he makes of it. He'll be given a chance now. Coming into Fort Field, one final thing. I've enjoyed my conversation with all Dolphins publisher, Alan Pupar. This, I could have this conversation with you for two hours and listen and enjoy every minute of it. This Sunday, it's the Dolphins and the Lions. How do you see this game shaking out? I think it has a chance to go really either way, like always. could be really explosive, back-and-forth kind of no-defense kind of game. Or the Lions could really, if they decide they don't want to deal with the likes of Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill and Tua on the field, and they don't want to kind of expose their defense, they can try again to muck it up like they did. Not as entertaining, and I think that's been the kind of effort that the Lions have been given, is to say, hey, we, we want we want to kind of slow the game down, and we don't want to be the explosive 45-point team anymore. We want to kind of win games 20-17 to 17 and hold the ball, run the ball, take the clock, limit the possessions of the others. It's clear now when you see a drastic offensive change from the Lions, it's because Dan Campbell realized, oh, man, my defense is not good, don't have enough talent, not consistent enough, very young. Let's slow this game down and not wing it. So it's exposing Jared Goff, and the Lions are still a battered team. I think it's going to be entertaining. This has a chance to be a quality game back and forth from a competitive standpoint, but I think just pure talent-wise in terms of offensive explosion, if Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell can do their thing in Tua – uh, you know, gets healthy against the Lions, which a lot of quarterbacks have been able to do, could be very interesting, and, and it could be the fifth win for the Dolphins. How do you see this one shaking out? I'm curious. 
Well, I'm not going to, I save my prediction for, for all dolphins.com, which will come out on Saturday morning, but I, 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 I'll give you some, some talking points here from the way, the way I see things is because they won't have Byron Jones again. Uh, and based on what we've seen so far this year, the dolphins just do not have the ability. They just have not blitzed as often as they, as they did the past two years or even shown blitz pre-snap as often as they did the last two years. And again, that's what, they confused Jared Goff so much. I mean, if you get if you get the chance, look look at that game. It was it was it was frightening how much the Dolphins messed with his head in that 2020 game. They don't do that as much this year, and again, it's because they don't have Byron Jones to to start opposite uh, Xavier Howard. So that's an issue. If I'm the Lions, I absolutely pound the running game to keep um, that Dolphin offense off the field. Because again, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are going to be a problem. The Steelers' defense, while not as dynamic now because they don't have T.J. Watt in the lineup, still a pretty solid group, uh, and they adjusted because the Dolphins basically ran through them the first two drives, and after that, uh, the Steelers really buckled down and kind of shut them down pretty much the rest of the game. So my my guess is the the Lions are going to study that game film to see what the Steelers did. But uh, Hill and Waddle are a complete handful for any defense to, to handle. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, you know, you listen, when you bring on a guest, you know the guest is not going to say, yeah, you know, I think the Dolphins are going to lose to the Lions with one win. Come on. I know you know what's going on. Now, I want to see, what I want to see from the press box is a wild contest. Now, see, I'm interesting in that I always root for content as opposed to obviously being a former diehard Lions fan that would emotionally rise and fall with the team. I'm still a big-time supporter of the Lions. You want to see everything go down with the Lions. But you know what will be interesting is if it's a back-and-forth game, Tua's throwing the ball over the place, Jared Goff's throwing the ball over the place, and you have this really interesting debate that can emerge because the Lions really had this thought about really looking at Tua from that perspective. But I just think it, it reeks of desperation here in Detroit for anybody that would have been different than potentially a cornerback or uh, other positions because here in Detroit, we're looking to rebound and get things going. It's a one-in-five football team. It's going to be tough. I think that, obviously, the Dolphins are coming in playing a little bit better than the Lions, but you you never know with these Lions what desperation will do uh, if DeAndre Swift comes back, that could up the explosiveness level. Amonra St. Brown, a little bit healthier week by week following the high ankle sprain. Ford Field, the man. When if you ever get an opportunity, it's when it gets loud and rowdy. It's amazing. It can disrupt an opponent's de- uh, offense, cause them to take some penalties. But at the same time, if the Dolphins kind of start to get ahead, two, three touchdowns, and it's not looking good, turnovers by Goff, the fan base is going to be unruly. And th- we're at that point, Allen. At this point with the Lions, it's a fan base that's not happy that even after 23 games with four wins and you look around, look, first year, uh, uh, an opportunity for first-year head coaches to get wins. They, it doesn't take 10 years to rebuild, but the Lions are doing things very, very slowly. So I'm curious to see how it shakes out, but I'm always in the route for content. So let's see to uh, light it up. Let's see Tyreek Hill because the Lions just have been adverse they sat back on their heels and didn't do much in free agency. So they've kind of said, we're developing all this young talent and we're building through the draft. But right now, the results just aren't there yet. So I think it's a good test, a great test, right at the right time. Obviously, most people probably had this one as a loss here in Detroit. But 
not, not too many would be surprised if the Lions were desperate and, and had an opportunity to uh, take this one down. I will have my All Lions official prediction on Sunday morning, but we'll see how you look at it. Make sure Saturday, if you want to get Allen's take on how the final score will shake out, check out All Dolphins. It's a good follow, very much so. I don't have too many guests on the All Lions podcast, but when the Dolphins was put on the schedule, I said, I got to talk to this individual. Very knowledgeable, very wise, measured, and will give you the real deal. Not the the hot takes, not the, you know, you know, national perspective of, you know, uh, the media trying to, you know, spin things in a way that's not real. Alan will give it to you straight and you'll have a lot of deep knowledge. His mailbags are so detailed. He cares about those that are asking the questions other than stupid podcasters looking to make jokes. He answers real, real questions from the fans. So make sure you follow him, a quality reporter and someone that I gravitate towards to keep me in line being the entertaining podcaster. Alan, this this podcast flew by. I wish we could talk for two hours, talk ball, but we'll do it again soon. I look forward to an entertaining contest, breaking it all down, and maybe just firing off a tweet to you if the Lions win, maybe a couple gifs that you might find to be tasteful or distasteful. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, and I do think, uh, I, I do value the time that we get to talk. It makes this job a lot funner. No, I appreciate it, but what I'm going to ask of you is like, send, me, send me a gif, win or lose. Don't, don't just okay. send it to me if the Lions Okay. I want one win or lose. Win or lose. Oh, yeah. During the game, I, I'm definitely going to think of you uh, in, in, in that aspect. I respect everything that you've done. Keep it up. All Dolphins publisher, SI.com fan nation. Quality, insight, expert knowledge of the Miami Dolphins. You'll get it from Allen, hands down. Thank you, everyone, for downloading the latest All Lions podcast, bringing you all things regarding the Detroit Lions, courtesy of SI.com and Fan Nation.